Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our case this week is all about justice and outrage. Should a convicted killer be given a compassionate release from his prison sentence because he says he's dying? Where was his compassion when he took the life of his girlfriend, Christina Lazzarini, on her 27th birthday and staged it to look like it was a suicide? And no, this is not an ordinary convicted killer. He was a cop at the time of this murder, and the victim's family says he used his connections then to cover up his crime, and he is using his connections again now to get out of prison. The parole board has denied this man parole twice because they say he is a threat to society. Yet this week, a judge's ruling has given the green light to actually release him. Her family says they are reliving the trauma of this murder all over again, and they are doing everything that they can to keep this killer behind bars. Her family will join us in just a few minutes. We are recording this on Wednesday, July 19th of 2023. Our guest today is Louis Bolaños, a former homicide detective with more than 30 years of law enforcement experience. He is the founder of Get Bit Investigations, a friend of this show and a tireless advocate for the survivors of crime. But Louis is here today because he has been friends with the Lazzarini family for decades, and he is helping the family in their fight to keep this convicted murderer locked up and then join Joining us later will be two family members of the victim, Steve Lazzarini and Amanda Lane Moore, who have an online petition to keep this man incarcerated. Lewis, welcome. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you so much, Anna. It's, it, this is a big one. And I, I say that by so many of these, but you know, every time I think I've seen everything, I, I haven't. Um, and 
I, I thank you because when I told you about this, you, you didn't even hesitate. Um, and everything I've learned about compassionate releases in this law um, that's just going to create an avalanche of these things, putting murderers and rapists back out on the streets, I've learned in the last week. And this is yeah. This is Steve Lazzarini. Yeah. This is a new law in California, a brand new law, and I believe this is the first big test of this law, which basically, you know, uh, it was enacted because the people behind it thought we should be a lot more compassionate toward these criminals. Here's my problem: where, where is the compassion here for the victims and the family of the victims, and they are being re-victimized through this process? Yeah, absolutely. And you'll see the trail. Even though this homicide is over almost 30 years ago, um, it, it, it still affects this family or any families going through this on a daily basis. But the fact now they have to absorb and have to figure out. For the first time that's possible, this clown, this convicted murderer might actually be back on the streets living near the same area where the homicide happened. And what's strange to this day, the community is not aware of what's going on. We plan to change that and make a difference because there is going to be an avalanche of these type of uh, releases, compassion releases coming. If we don't nip it right now, they're coming. Oh, absolutely. So before we bring on Christina's brother and her sister-in-law, I want to go over the facts of the case with you so we can talk about that. So when we bring them on, we can have a much deeper conversation about how all of this has affected the family. And and certainly they have a lot more information. So the victim here is 27-year-old Christina Lazzarini. She had just finished celebrating her birthday. It was her birthday. She had been with her family celebrating a joyous day. Um, She grew up in the Coachella Valley. Uh, This murder took place in Cathedral City. She lived with her boyfriend in Cathedral City. Her boyfriend at the time, Louis Hassan, was a cop with a very checkered past. He lost his job at the Cathedral City Police Department and was working at the Los Angeles Housing Police at the time of the murder. Okay, Christina was found dead in her home on December 2nd of 1990. She was shot in the head, but the body was staged to look like it was a suicide because she was still holding the gun, Lewis. It didn't make any sense. No, it didn't make any sense at all. Um, He he staged it. He after he shot her, after Hassan shot Christina, he took the weapon and put it in her dead hand and did his best in a panic, I'm sure, to make it look like a suicide. Um, And look, I also want to add, not only did Hassan fired from or or left, he had a choice, but he left before he was terminated from Cathedral City Police Department. And then from there, he went to the L.A. Housing Authority Police Department. But he started at Bell Gardens. That was his first job. And he was terminated, asked to leave there to Cathedral City. Um, because he committed fraud. He was convicted for fraud. And that information never made it over to Cathedral City, supposedly. Who knows? That's another issue we'll get into. But I can tell you for a fact, the information of what he was accused of doing in Cathedral City and the trail of violence he left while he was worked there never made it to the L.A. Housing Authority. One police department gave, you know, the other police department the nod to go ahead and hire him constantly, you know, basically covering up for all of his crap. And look, and some of it 
is alleged to be criminal, and we'll get into that, but nothing to the, anything to the serious level of a murder, the taking of a life. You know, this is, this is what bothers me about this case because the murder was actually investigated by all of his buddies at the Cathedral City Police Department. That is where the murder occurred. So here you have what should be, you know, prime suspect number one, the boyfriend, right? And rather than pulling themselves out of this investigation, I believe they covered up, they aided, abetted, and they, I mean, atrocities as far as what happened to the evidence in this case. Right. Right. Absolutely true. And look, we've talked about this issue before in other investigations, especially high profile. And it doesn't really matter if they're high profile or not. Right. But if you're investigating one of your own or one of your own has a connection, even if it could be uh, on on level just because they know the person, you shouldn't be investigating the crime. And to have it really should have been a conflict of interest declared from from the inception. As soon as they recognize it was one of their own. And what is a conflict of interest? Well, the threshold for that is he simply has it has to give possibly the appearance, possibly the appearance of an impropriety. Well, this screams this. This should be the poster child for a conflict of interest for any police agency across this country as to a case, an investigation you do not take. And have outside agencies ask, hey, let us take this for you. We'll do it. And to be denied, that's almost unheard of. Right. So and this case reason it took so long and went through and the family suffered so much is because it was never handed over to an outside agency. And once that snowballs got going, it was almost impossible to stop. It took seven years. Unbelievable. Seven years to get it to trial and get a conviction. That is unheard of. It is ridiculous. It is an injustice. It is it is a moral crime to do this to a family. And here's the thing. He is the one who started the whole, oh, she killed herself. Oh, she killed herself. She was depressed. He was the one who planted the seed that this was a suicide. And then he made up a story because the family denies this. He says six months earlier, she had tried to take her life. Yet, you know, everyone has asked, including the parole boards who have twice said, no, you're not getting out because you have not come to terms with the truth. He, you know, they're all like, well, how is it possible that you, if you were so concerned as a police officer, didn't even tell her family that she was potentially suicidal because she was not. Right. She was not. Right. He has a history, and I've gone way back in his history over 40 years now, of being a liar, a manipulator, and just thinking he's always the smartest one in the room. Um, And just, you know, to to tell a lie, some of the best lies are perfect glance of truth and fiction. And he has done that through his entire adult life, probably in his childhood too, certainly in his career, every step of the way. So when she is discovered dead and he is now telling all his buddies, oh, it's suicide, it's suicide. Remember, her hand was still holding the gun and it was placed on her. There's no way you could, and I please forgive me, not trying to be graphic here, that you could have such a traumatic gunshot to the brain and for everything in your body to not just go all over the place. It's, it is physically impossible. You don't need to be an expert to know that. Correct. And, and in his panic to try to attempt to stage a suicide, he put the gun in her hand and made it look like it was she reached her right against him. Yeah, because this is how we all do things, right? 
Right, because right, which is just ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. But again, thinking he's the smartest person in the room, he's going to try to step that up, and he messed up with that. And plus, the blood experts from every direction completely proved that uh, there's no way. And of course, the autopsy, they could have happened that way. So I, I have personally spoken. They have reached out to me, two of the main investigators who were on scene the day of Christina's murder, and they told me that in, it didn't take them but a few minutes to figure out that this was not a suicide absolutely a homicide and they wanted to make an arrest that day they and having done my homework and research on this they should have but they were instructed not to arrest him and to this day they have trouble with that there has to be a path for people in law enforcement I say this all the time to have a safe path when a supervisor tells you not to do something that you think might be criminal. But fear of career suicide is a big thing in law enforcement. It keeps people especially, quiet. Especially in a small town. You know, this is, these are not big uh, communities that we're talking about. Now, again, to show you what level of favoritism he got here. So that night, his former partner, this is the night that they're still processing the all the evidence in the crime scene. His former partner is the one who takes Hassan, the boyfriend, down to the station to check his hands for gun residue. They didn't do that at the scene. You're going to tell me that that everything was kept clean from the moment that man left the scene till the time he got to the police department? Hell no. Yeah, yeah, Hell absolutely. No. And it's so many things like that happened. They never secured the scene. The next day, and Amanda and Steve will tell you, Hassan moved the mattress where her dead body was laying, and they never found that again. The blood-stained mattress. So that's obvious that's missing. Who knows what else is missing that would have helped move this case forward had another department handled the investigation. Um, so they created quite the, the mud pit for any investigator to come later and, and to try to figure out what happened. The truth here is that Christina was going to leave Hassan. She was done with him. He was much older than her. And she had bought a piece of property, a piece of land. She was going to build a house. She had told him, the family says she had told him that she was leaving. And so we think that that's, prosecutors believe that's what set off in motion a, a potential argument and maybe the motive, the motive here for killing her, according to, to investigators. Now, there were tons of issues, as we've just explained, with the case, with the integrity of the evidence. Hassan was charged. And then the charges are dropped. And then they're filed again. And it wasn't until seven years after her murder that there's finally a conviction on October 2nd of 1997. She was murdered in 1990. What an injustice. But they finally get the guy, right? Finally done. A jury they decides. They right? They finally get there. It was delayed. It was delayed, but they finally get there. Twice the parole board has ruled that Hassan is a threat to society and that he has not atoned or ever apologized. In fact, he still denies that he did it. His parole was denied in 2015 and in 2019. Okay? Now... He is 73 years old and he claims that he is gravely ill and that he doesn't have long to live. And he has applied for a compassionate release under a new law that has just taken effect in the state of California. This law does not favor victims. Who does this law favor? The killers. 
makes me sick. Yeah, uh, it, it's disgusting. And I'm, I'm embarrassed that it, it, the type of work I do that I've never had a reason to look into this. I, I can't believe this thing raises ugly head. These outception have been served. I don't know the history of day one of it. I get there eventually. Uh, but I, like I told you earlier, everything I've learned about this compassionate release program, I've learned in the last week since I got a call from Steve on this. Um, and yeah. it just blows the mind that this is even possible. Um, and like I said before, this is something we need. Our, our community needs to nip in the, in the bud right now because there is an avalanche coming of these type of releases. Oh, it's coming. yeah. The streets are going to be flooded with killers and rapists now. Absolutely. Now, there was a hearing this week. This is why we want to talk about this case. This week, there was a hearing, and the judge apparently has approved this release, kicked it back to the corrections department, and this, not only is that insane, listen to this. Here are the terms of his release. He, Hassan, a convicted killer, is going to be released into the custody of a former police officer buddy of his. That, that is horrible. And that's absolutely true. And what this judge is focusing now, the two thresholds he's concerned about, number one is that he has a place to go, right? A place to go and that will accept all the medical conditions and that he's not a danger to the public. And the judge said he believes this man, Hassan, is not a danger to the public. And it blows my mind. Lewis, as part yeah. of this new law in California, the, the reasoning behind the governor signing this thing and, and lawmakers passing it is they claim that the research is when you're so old and you're so sick, you are no longer a threat to society. When do we have those standards? When did this start? Right. That, that's crazy, right? It doesn't give any comfort to the victim's family that uh, this guy or gal in the future, this person can end up getting up simply because they get old and sick. Well, if we you can raise your hand up, you can shoot a gun. I, absolutely. So look, he, Hassan can walk. He can cook for himself. He can use the bathroom for himself. He can actually drive. He can make phone calls. He can get on the computer. He can eat. He can do everything you and I can do. Um, he just has allegedly this sickness, uh, uh, pulmonary fibrosis. And even that's been an issue trying to prove whether we have it or not. The only person that has made that diagnosis is the prison doctor who's a GP. He has not been evaluated by an expert. Um, and that's a fight they're trying to get through. But I mean, what a low threshold. Of oh. course, these convicted murders are going to be applying for pastor release because the threshold is so easy. Absolutely. And the only thing, I, and I believe this to be accurate with the law, the people who are not eligible, the convicted murderers, who <laughs> it's amazing they even drew a line here for anyone. If you are serving a life sentence or on death row, you will not be getting compassionate release. But if parole was part of your sentence that you might be, you know, lots of people have parole and year after year, the parole board in California you know, when they're paying attention, will be like, no, you are not getting out. Right. So the parole right. board has said but, no. But now with this new law, it's like, yeah, buddy, go ahead. You know what? Go stay at your friend's house. Get the recliner on. Turn the TV on. Enjoy your last few days of life. Really? Yeah. And the parole board is, they're interesting, as you and I know, because we've talked about them on some other shows. Oh, yeah. on the, True. Regarding True. this issue. They're always, a, it depends which way the wind's blowing. But I read the minutes on this case, 
the parole board is actually recommending a passionate release for this clown, which goes against everything they've said for the last two parole hearings. Why is that? Right. I don't know. What made them flip? Right. And the, this judge, uh, Helio Hernandez, uh, who, who is uh, trying this case and making a decision, he actually said he thinks one of the reasons the parole board or the prison is, is recommending this compassionate release. He said it's either possibly they're trying to save money or they're actually very compassionate. That's what he said on record. So, I, you know, he, he even thinks that it may be a money saver for him. Is this really what this is about? Saving money for the correctional or correctional business, right? It's 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 phenomenal. Look, I can understand a nonviolent yeah. offense. You know, I can understand drugs. I can understand other crimes, but violent offenses like sexual assault and murder, I do not understand. I'm sorry. The level of compassion Agreed. stops right there. Done. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast calling all pop culture enthusiasts are you obsessed with all things celebrity do you live for the drama the laughs and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com odyssey. That's greenlight.com odyssey. Now joining us are Christina's brother, Steve, and sister-in-law, Amanda. Now, I want to prepare all of you for the heartache and the loss that this family has suffered and endured with the murder of Christina. This murder, this pain, was too great for her mother, Marilyn, and too great for her brother, John. And they have departed this world to join Christina in heaven because the pain was too much. 
So you need to really understand when you hear from Steve and you hear from Amanda, all of that pain, which is never left, is being all brought up all over again. And they're being re-victimized here. How much more must this family lose? I am so sorry, Steve and Amanda, for your loss, all of your losses, and for your trauma. And I thank you for coming on this program. I know you are very close friends with Lewis. Um, and I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry about this. Thank you. I appreciate it. Steve, how did you, I mean, how did you find out that this man was about to be released? How did you find out? Um, probably a little too late because they do not, with this law, give you any time. They got 10 days to process this. And we we're all supposed to be notified, including the former prosecutor, anybody that had their wishes wanted, uh, former law enforcement, all the family members and all that. They notified none of us. They sent a email to my dad, who in turn called me and said, what's going on here? I don't understand this. And my dad's 82. And it's kind of crazy that they're going to let a convicted killer out in 10 days, basically. And nobody knows about it. Unbelievable. Amanda, you have started a petition, which I signed last night. And we are going to include a link to that um, on our YouTube page. Amanda, I mean, I, I was reading the comments on the petition. Everyone who is signing this is mortified that this man is going to be released. Yeah, it's insane that they're allowing any of this to go on. And it's not just our family. It's many families that are going through it. And as Steve just said, not only the DA of Riverside County knew about this, so none of us had any warning and no time to prepare for it at all. So, Steve, how do you feel about this? I feel this the system's kind of this law is really broken and and hopefully we can fix this for our family, but we're going to keep fighting this and go all the way to Sacramento. I'm not stopping. Nobody should have to endure what we've endured. Um, this case is kind of high profile because of the corruption in police departments and corruption in this man's life that took my sister's life from the day he was in the military to all the different police departments that he went to and were corrupt that just kept passing him along. And people like this should not even be thought about getting out of prison. It's And now he's going to live his life free with a former officer who has weapons. And the judge kind of just said, hey, uh, OK, you just account for him and lock him up. How does that work? <laughs> you know, and it's just amazing that this could happen in our time. It's just nuts. This is not justice, Lewis. No, it's not justice. I you know sometimes justice takes a while to, to come around. Um, and hopefully we can get this going in the right direction. I do want to focus on Christina's murder and some of the details now that we have Steve and Amanda. Because I, I think this all goes toward truly understanding how violent and vicious and calculating this man is. Because it all goes toward the person, right? The convicted killer here. Right. So... Steve, this was 
your sister's birthday. Uh, we really need to set the scene here. And she's enjoying turning 27, moving on with her life. She had had, you know, dinner with family. And so she went home and you believe, Steve, you said that you believe it was about an hour, maybe, that you believe Hassan had to kill her. What do you think happened? Well, it's not what I think happens. What I kind of know happened because I yeah. lived it. We, and it's been proven also in, in court law, but he had forgotten her birthday. My sister, we had a lovely party. She went home. She was putting her stuff away, opened a bottle of wine. That didn't sound like somebody that's going to commit suicide. Was cooking in her crock pot, had something going, you know, planning for the next day because she was leaving. She bought a piece of property. I had done house plans for her as a builder and basically was done with this whole situation with this guy of the past years that she's lived with him and, and endured his domestic violence, which she kept hidden from us. Um, and that happened and it came out after. Uh, and she was ready to move on. And he came in. He forgot her birthday, supposedly, but he actually didn't forget her birthday. It was a testimony in the trial that he knew it was. And she was leaving him. That's why he came. He came back there because she was leaving. Came from L.A. from his job there. Pretended to come by the house to pretend he had missed her birthday and he had a present for her. So he came by my parents' house where the party was. They lived about five minutes from there and made up a big story to my parents. And it just sounded fishy and proceeded to go to the house. And then about not quite an hour after that, it was very uh, suspicious. My brother got suspicious and all that because he actually came back to my parents' house. Hassan did. Yes, Hassan. Okay. And then enter my brother and his wife at the time, uh, Teresa, left to go check out my sister because she wouldn't answer the phone. And they just talked to her a few minutes, like maybe a half hour before, 45 minutes before. And uh, went back to, the, went to their house, crawled through the doggy door because the house was locked up. I just could be, she didn't answer the door. And they found her dead in her bedroom. And uh, it was just unbelievable. And then at the time, Hassan is at my parents' house and I'm heading there now that I know what's going on. And he leaves my parents' house and actually goes back to the scene to act like he was going to find her, but he didn't know that my brother was already there and the police had already got there. So it kind of blew his thing. And then they kind of covered it up from there. Oh my God. Amanda, you were saying that he started acting very strangely um, with the funeral. Was he even permitted at the funeral? And then how he was acting on your sister-in-law's grave? Please share with us this story. He was permitted at the funeral. Um, he showed up. Uh, uh, so we had undercover officers there. They actually went and asked him to leave. Um, he didn't actually leave. He just went outside. So we all had to endure that. He, he was, you know, 30 feet away from us. Um, after the funeral, he would constantly go to the grave, leave notes, leave incense, leave uh, sake glasses. He had a whole ritual thing he would do trying to do the, you know, I, I feel so bad. You know, I, I, 
I miss her kind of kind of situation. He was trying to still go through the, she committed suicide. So every time we went to visit the grave, we constantly had to see all of that stuff as well. So even Unbelievable. more torture on top of, it was torture on top of torture on top of torture. And, and it continues to be. Of course, yes, now with his imminent release. But then I'm a, I am so taken by how you all address the problem to save Christina's soul and resting place from this man. What did you do? We took, we took in, in the middle of the night. We had the body exhumed and we had to move to a cemetery out of state that it could be watched. Otherwise, you know, the torture that my mother and the family was going through was just unbearable at the time. And knowing that he was walking around freely and it was being covered up by his superiors, that it was, I mean, it just unbelievable. And the, the actual, I have to tell you, just what this one thing that really sets in my mind, my poor wife would not even shower at home for the first six months of this to almost eight months, she would go to my parents' house to shower because I would leave work and she would, I would follow her to my parents and then she would go to work from there. She would, didn't want to be alone by herself. Because she was afraid of him. Yes. Totally afraid of him. And my sister and her were my best friends. And I know now to the, you know, when I lost her, uh, some of the things she told me when she was dying from her cancer, this was years later that she knew that he was beating her and my sister made her promise never to tell me. And it's like on her deathbed, she finally told me that several years later and it was really hard. And that told that must've took on her, you know, holding that inside that she knew that all this time. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want anybody else to go through stuff like this. This compassion thing is just, it's bizarre, you know, like you said earlier, I think, you know, if there are drug dealers or petty crimes, thefts or whatever. And yeah, maybe they got stuck in that three strikes laws that California have that I can understand. But anybody that takes a life, anybody that molests children or a rapist, no, no. They, they got life for a reason. And if the parole board won't let them out. They're not getting out. We've got to change this law. This has got yes. to change. This well, has got with, to change. Work with like what Lewis is doing. And, and, and now that we're fortunate enough to listen to you and we want to keep fighting this all the way to Sacramento. And this is not just in California. This is happening all across the country. Now that I I've learned this little bit here in the last few weeks, I, it's consumed us. You know, I thought this was all behind us. Wow. You know, in talking with Lewis, Lewis said one of the things, because he's been friends with you and your family for decades. Oh, yeah. Um, he said what many things bother you, Lewis, and I don't want to speak for you, but when you, it's the way you said it. You said, you know, they had to prepare during the trial and then for the impact statement portion of sentencing. And he says, and here they are having to write another victim impact statement all over again from a different perspective, still in pain, but now because the guy's about to get out. Lewis, this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's unheard of. And I mean, again, 
perfect example of what true re- victim revictimization is. Um, I, I, you know, I discussed with Steve, how in the world are you going to write a, a new victim impact statement? And, and you're pressed for time because you're still trying to absorb what's happening. You're in shock, right? I'm, and I think, you know, it's probably a safe thing to say that there was some shock that the family went through when they heard this was even a possibility. And now it's a probability. That's just cruel, inhumane for the family. It, it shouldn't happen like that. But that's a tactic based on this compassion law that the attorneys for Hassan are using and others are going to use. Use that time wisely and strategically so that the prosecutor's office can't respond in a, in a reasonable amount of time and the family can't get up there. You know, the the judge here, one of the things that he said, right, as I'm, as I'm studying this case, is that he already has their victim impact statements. Well, Your Honor, that's from over almost... 30 years ago. You can't use those. This is a new impact. They're being re-victimized. You need to hear and see what they're going through right now, things that I've heard, and not ignore them and just kind of kiss it off that you've read the, the past ones. I don't need to go through that again. He did allow uh, someone to speak, but every single family member that has been suffering from this for the last two of the years since Christina's murder should have the opportunity to stand in front of the judge in that courtroom and speak their piece. That's a very reasonable request. That comes before compassion for the convicted murderer. And that's not what's happening in this case and many others. And more of these are coming. What about the lasting impact of this crime, Christina's murder, that her mother and her other brother have left this planet to join her in heaven? What about that impact? I don't think anybody realizes that impact until you live it. My my poor mother endured not only my brother committing suicide, you know, he found her. He saw what happened. And and for him to go through, I don't think he got enough help. And you know, he had his issues with this and just and never got enough help. And then for my mother to go through both of them. And then finally it just took a toll on her. It just, she couldn't handle it anymore. It's just, that's what I don't think anybody understands with this. And now we're all being re-victimized because we have to not only live their two deaths, but my sister's death, plus also our safety. This man has threatened us. He threatened us before he went to trial. He's threatened other officials. He's threatened law enforcement that he will get even. Now, if this compassion law is his way out, he has nothing to live for, what do you think he's gonna do? He's gonna come out and get even because he doesn't believe he did this and we put him all in jail when he put himself in jail by the crime that he committed. He's been doing this his whole life. And and to that point, I I think Steve's got a great point there and I absolutely agree. You know, hypothetically, let's say that he is sick and his time to live on this planet is short. Hypothetically, he gets released. He's going to be even more dangerous to the community. I have had in the last week, city officials, people within uh, the department where uh, uh, Hassan worked, other people that have retired in the law enforcement community tell me that they fear for their safety. And this is a topic they're not just thinking about now. They've thought this the entire time after he was incarcerated, that if this clown ever gets out, we're gonna to have to do something drastic. And some of these families already have plans in place before they even heard of the commission release. 
no, so Steve uh, describing, you know, that his mom and brother be, being victims of this also, uh, people being terrified that this clown might ever get out, and now it's actually possibly going to happen. These are things the judge needs to hear in victim impact statements, and they just don't have the opportunity to do that because of the forced condensed time to address this. Um, it's, it's terrifying, and it's wrong. It, it needs to be tuned up. This law, I get it, I think. Right. The intent of it. But I don't I can't see this being the intent. Um, you know, you hear this all the time. This judge certainly doesn't want this kind of living next to him. No, um, nobody wants this guy, you know, next to him. Nobody wants him. Nobody wants him out. He wants out. And the, and I just it just bugs me to no end that somehow the judge has signed off on this ridiculous, stupid scheme to go and stay in a home of a retired cop that somehow that man we are entrusting with all of society's safety. Who the hell is this guy? And this retired cop, his name is Richard Mosley, retired from the Casino State Police Department. Hassan brought him into the department as an explorer. How is it possible we don't have the resources to solve crimes you know, help victims in real time, right? We can't get cases in front of uh, assistant DAs because they're so overwhelmed. But somehow there is time in the system to go check some man's house to see if we can get a convicted killer out and be real comfortable on the sofa. How's that possible? How's that possible? It's amazing. It really is. The injustice here is amazing. Amanda, you wanted to say something. Well, and Richard Mosley at, at the last this last hearing actually said he feels indebted to Hassan. And that alone frightens all of us because if he's indebted to him, what would he do for him? So that, I mean, that's all, that's a whole nother can of worms that, that we're now having to worry about is not just Hassan being out, but who does he have that still will protect him? will do things for him. will follow his lead and, follow out some of the threats he's done for the family, uh, other law enforcement. There's a, as Lewis knows, there's a a long list of people that have been threatened. So that's a whole nother issue that the judge didn't look at either. Look, this is not a good guy, right? There's no question about it. Um, I mean, I did read in the parole hearings about, you know, he works somewhere in the prison. Okay, that's fine. Good for you. Um, (laughs) Do something while you're there. But. Wish my sister could have still been working. Right. Right. And my brother and my mom. (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? A little compassion there. A little compassion there. Um, I want to talk to you, Amanda. I mean, there's so many things we could talk about his past, but I think we have a pretty good picture of who this person is. I think we have a pretty good picture here. Um, Amanda, so you've started this petition and I've read the comments on the petition. And, and what is your hope? What, what are you trying to do with this petition? Who do you want? How many signatures do you need? Who do you want to get this in front of? Everyone. Um, as Steve said, there is no, we won't stop. We're, we're pretty tenacious people. So we're not going to stop at all, but no matter what happens with, our case, no, no one should have to go through what we're going through. Um, we can only do what we can do about Hassan and his situation, the situation, but getting this law changed to where no violent criminal could ever 
be out like they're trying to have him out. So how many signatures? As as many as we can possibly get. Millions, if I if I had my way. Um, I, we, I think all of us have shared it on everything we possibly can. What I don't understand is, because this case is, this is outrageous. I, and I know our community, our crime family, as I call them, these are the kind of, these are the reasons people listen and watch this podcast because we, it's like a call to action. I believe that there's strength in numbers. People make, you know, they may criticize people and say, oh, you just left a comment of outrage. How is that participating? You'd be surprised. I always say, gather all the voices together, they get stronger and louder, all of them. And that's why I think this case is incredibly important. But what I cannot believe is that the news organizations in Southern California and in the state of California that cover law and order and all of this, that this isn't on anybody's radar. Like no one is talking about this case. It's amazing. Let's change that. Let's change it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You know, I I I'm so grateful for you being here. I know that you have a very long relationship with Lewis and I appreciate that because you know, to open yourself up to have a conversation about things that are so un- uncomfortable and so painful with a stranger. I I'm very appreciative of you taking the time and opening up your hearts to us. Um what last words do you do you want to have for us? Well, first, I want to thank you. And I think that we really need to work together in numbers. I think in every bit of this, reliving it, like going through all those boxes, looking at this information, and now even more so understanding how bad it was. We can't let this happen again. I don't want this to happen to any other families. This is like... And it's not only affecting us right now, it's affecting my nieces and nephews, okay? My brother's kids, Amanda's children. You know, they now are in harm's way of this clown, as Luis was calling. I think if we can put together a good system, prove all the things and show how flawed part of this law is. Now, I'm not saying it's totally bad, but part of it and stop there and correct that if the legislature in California can do that and the rest of the places around the country that this is happening also, same way, maybe not as profile as this, but same way, I think we can make a difference. If we can do that and we can help other victims' families and their young ones, then you know what? I've, I've done my sister and my brother and my, and my mom justice. Amen. Amanda, anything you want to add? Oh, Steve just about summed it up. It's it, it's unreal that this law exists the way it does without lawmakers looking at it and thinking forward to situations like this. There's many murderers, rapists, child molesters in the prison system. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how sick they are. They can die there. They don't have, they shouldn't have the right. Their rights were taken from them for a reason, uh, either by a jury or a judge. It was taken from them. They shouldn't get it back because of their their age, which was one of the compassion release law things, their age or uh, any medical 
reasons that they have. They can go to a state hospital and and live their life out there. Right. Aren't there prison the, facilities like prison hospitals, Lewis? There are prison facilities and hospitals. Absolutely. And that's what the way it used to be. I never heard of anyone getting out because they're sick, a convicted murderer or a convicted violent, violent felon. Um, I, 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 yeah, there are those facilities. And so why let him, this person go home to be with this family, this friend, and eat these incredible meals and watch movies, HBO, Showtime, and, 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 and you know, order pizza? I, I mean, everything that comes with being free, they are freeing him. Let's, let's be straight with that. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. He's going to have computer access. Right. They haven't they've given no comfort to the family on how he's going to be restricted. Again, they don't even know he's going to be on parole if he's going to have an ankle bracelet on. I mean, so far, it's leaning that he's not. It's really simply going to be that he's going to be in custody of Richard Mosley. And very close to and the that's family. Our right. Yeah. And close to your family, because yeah. he's yeah. going to come back to He'll the Coachella be- Valley. Yeah, that's what's scary, too. I mean, literally. That is just the last thing that I've ever thought would happen in my life. And for basically, they're just saying, well, he did what he did back then. And it really doesn't matter. He can get out because he's old and sick. It's kind of just in a nutshell. It's kind of harsh to hear oh, that. It is. it is harsh. It but is that's kind of what cruel. this legislation is doing. And without fixing this legislation for that reason, there was a reason, like you said earlier, and I remember you said something that they drew a little line in the sand with, death row guys well he's no different i'm sorry just because the sentencing at that time of of his crime was that was what they could do okay you know because we didn't have death sentence back then if i recall right so they couldn't give him that you know so it's like and him being a police officer is by far by far the worst because he knows better and he knows how to get around the system and he's doing it right now today he really is. Well, I, I really want to thank you, Steve and Amanda. And again, my condolences for everything for all of your losses. And this is horrific. And and um, let's get that petition signed and let's scream. Let's just scream at the top of our lungs. All the way to Sacramento. You got it. All right. And across the rest of the nation. Yeah, that's right. Wow, Lewis. I am just... My heart is broken for this family because to hear how Christina's mother and brother took their lives because they couldn't live with the pain of all of this. How much more does this family have to pay? I I don't know, Anna, but I kind of feel that it's going to get even more difficult before it gets better. If it gets better, we're going to continue the fight um, and, and see if we can change this law. And I still think there's hope th- that we may be able to possibly keep Hassan but from being freed. Um, right now, we're waiting the judge's orders 30 days as of two days ago for the Department of Corrections to take all the metal equipment, equipment necessary and supplies to Richard Mosley's home so they can prepare and accept him. I read that as part of this law, the courts will have 45 days after the compassionate release application is triggered. So that's not a very long time. And what you're saying now, we're in an even shorter window. The fact that people were not permitted to attend 
this hearing because they didn't know about it. Plus, you don't give the family time to react, mobilize, get picketers out there, right? You've got to give people an opportunity to react to this. You know, parents and families lose their minds when convicted child sex offenders are released into their communities. They lose their minds over this. I think we should be losing our minds over the potential release of this man. He absolutely. I, I, I just, you know, I know we've said it over and over again. This doesn't make any sense. We're going to do what we can here. You all have loud voices as well. This is just, it, this is not okay. This yeah. is not you justice. You bring up a good point. You bring up many good points, Diana, in Megan's Law, right? You can look up and see if you have a convicted sex offender living next to you. But wouldn't you want to know if you have a convicted homicide suspect living or convicted murder living next to you also in the same type of database? Isn't that dangerous to you and your family also? Um, and, and I would be upset if he was living there, especially through a via uh, a, a confession release law. Um, and he, I saw him mowing the grass or walking around. I wouldn't want him there anyways. Those neighbors where he's going to be living, of Richard Mosley, they don't have a choice. This man's mm-hmm. going to land in their front yard, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the big difference with this is, you know, at least you have parole board hearings. They're structured. There is a process. Half the time, the parole board is crazy anyway, and I don't agree with them. However, there is a process in place. The process for this new law of compassionate release is truncated, seems to miss a lot of steps, and I don't think is okay to release someone like this into a person's home. You know, I, I, there, there's just a lot that there's no oversight. This is what is troubling me about this. It's too quick. It favors the killer. And there's not enough room for the public and the community impacted by this to prepare and react. So, Lewis, Very true. we have our marching papers, don't we? Yes, we do. We I, on this. I, I never take it for granted when, when a uh, family or, or victim or victim's family reaches out to me and, and trust me with this type of information and are just looking for help. They've exhausted everything. And I especially never take for granted when I call you and say, Anna, this is what I got. Help me. You always yeah. jump on it. So I thank yeah. you for that. So um, again, we're linking too. everything. We want you to yeah. share this. If you're outraged, share this. This this is a good start. And we're going to reach out to some local news organizations here in Southern California to figure out why they're not covering this. And let's see what we can start. Let's see what we can start. We've made changes before. You all have hollered before. Yes, we Let's are. see what we can do. All right. So um, this has been a very unique, unique episode of True Crime Daily, the podcast. But it is where our heart lives. And ultimately, we always ask the same question. What would justice look like? And is this justice? No, it is not. So, Lewis, where can people get in touch with you if they're concerned about this or something else? I, you know, you've got a big digital footprint. How can people follow you? Thank you, Anna. Uh, my entire social media footprint is at getbitinvestigations.com. And if you have information on this case or your own issues with compassion release, you're going to do the same thing. 
Okay. You can find me at Anna Genuse, Anna with one N. You can find this podcast episode and all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, go to truecrimedaily.com to subscri- subscribe to our newsletter. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Until next week, as we always say, don't do crime. <laughs>